Pastor Xavier Reese, vividly illustrating the resulting fall that follows a haughty spirit. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. He would lose his mental capacity having to live with the animals and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of the heavens. All his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Literally, Nebuchadnezzar had to lose his mind to gain his mind. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We're all too familiar with the English idiom, pride comes before a fall. But in the case of the king of ancient Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, there was a fall from grace like no other. From literally dining on feasts fit for a king to grazing with the beasts of the field is how far down his slide took him. But coming up, Pastor Xavier shares the simple truths of how this ancient world leader was ultimately restored by God in the end as we hear the continuation of the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4. The person speaking is the most powerful person in the world, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He had been given power, strength, and glory by God, the first world empire. The people addressed are those of his kingdom. To all nations, those who he had conquered and were subject to him. To all languages that dwell in all the earth, indicating the vastness of his kingdom. Now the personal greeting is new. Notice, he's wishing peace, shalom. That means welfare, prosperity would be multiplied to those people who he addressed. Now, this sounds like someone other than King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> this doesn't sound like the old Nebuchadnezzar who... Um, slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and then gouged them out and took them to Babylon. This doesn't sound like the Nebuchadnezzar who commanded all the wise men to be slain when they couldn't give the dream or the interpretation. Something's different. Now the king desired notice to inform everyone about how God, the God of the Jews, had dealt with him. That's what verse 2 says. He wanted them to know about the miraculous works God had worked for him. Something's changed here. There's a different perspective. Now, he's already acknowledged it at the end of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2, intellectually. But there's different now. What an incredible witness to all the subjects of Babylon that their powerful, merciless, reigning king had a change of heart by the living God. He's making this proclamation. He's witnessing for Yahweh. Which brings us to verse 28 through 33. The humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar by God. In verse 28 and 29. Notice the king was called to repent by God. Don't miss this. This is the heart of the vision. The king did not repent. But became more arrogant towards God. Verse 28 says. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. You see all that was revealed in the dream. About his powerful kingdom. Being removed. Was symbolized by the tree. And it came to pass, and is dwelling with the beast of the field, verse 14 through 16. Because he's not saved right here. But the first three verses, he's writing, looking back. Okay? This is testimony. Alright? It's not in chronological order. It's an Eastern, it's an Eastern book, not a Western book. You get the detail, you get the proclamation, then you get the details that gets fitted back in, and that's how it is. Okay? 
The king was assured by the angel in verse 26 that he would be restored. Inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the root of the tree with the brass band around it, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. That's the goal. In verse 27, Daniel counseled the king to turn from his sins. Listen carefully. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Nebuchadnezzar was a bad dude. He wasn't just. He abused the poor. He committed many things. And, and Daniel here loves him. He cares for him. He's been with him for years. And he calls him to repent. Every person has that responsibility when God opens a door for them to confront people. We cannot shirk back. God help you if you yield to the political correctness of our nauseating nation. You better be a man, a woman of conviction and character. The narcissistic sense of Nebuchadnezzar's own greatness gripped him with pride. Look at verse 30. He was complimenting himself as he admired the great kingly city of Babylon. You can just see him strutting through the halls, yucking everything. He says, then the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling? He was relishing in his glory by my mighty power and for my honor of my majesty. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, Proverbs 16, 18 says. The king was castigated for his rebellion against God. Look at 30 through 33. The verdict of judgment came from the divine throne. In verse 31, it says, While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. Now, he got the dream, didn't know what it was about. Daniel tells him, he knows what God has said. But now, the line is drawn, and the voice speaks from heaven, and he hears it. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. The judgment here was the personal abasement of the king. Look at 32. He would lose his mental capacity having to live with the animals. And they shall drive you from men. And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Literally, Nebuchadnezzar had to lose his mind to gain his mind. Wow. He would live as and be sustained like the animals. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. He would exist in this state for the set time that God knew he would repent. In 33, the verdict of judgment fell at the very minute. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. It's real personal. The reality of becoming as a beast came to pass. He was driven from men. And ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of the heavens. All his hair had grown like eagle's feathers. And his nails like bird's claws. People say, oh, come on, you guys, you Christians, you guys believe this? Well, we'll see. <laughs> I'm amazed at the critics and the skeptics and, and the so-called higher critics that, that they call themselves Christians that attack the Bible. And God grabs some archaeologists, go dig something up, whether it be archaeological dig or whether a manuscript, and prove them all wrong. And they got egg all over their face. We're going to see that this condition did exist and has existed and still does at times. Raymond Harrison recites a personal experience 
with a modern case similar to that of Nebuchadnezzar, which uh, he observed in, in British, uh, a British mental institution in 1946. Listen to what he says. Harrison writes, quote, A great many doctors spend an entire busy professional career without once encountering an instance of the kind of monomania described in the book of Daniel. The present writer, therefore, considers himself particularly fortunate to have actually observed a clinical case of bonthropy. Bonthropy is when you uh, abandon your home and you head for the forest and you identify with the animals you think that they're more like you, okay? And he says, observed a clinical case of uh, a bonthropy in a British mental institution, 1946. The patient was in his early 20s who reportedly had been hospitalized for about five years. His symptoms were well-developed on uh, admission and diagnosis was immediate and conclusive. He was of average height and weight, good physique, and was in excellent bodily health, and his mental symptoms included pronounced antisocial tendencies. And because of this, he spent the entire day from dawn to dusk outdoors in the grounds of the institution. His daily routine consisted of wandering around the magnificent lawns with which the otherwise dingy hospital situation was graced. And it was um, his custom to pluck up and eat handfuls of grass as he went along. So he just walked along, it's a little snack. And on observation, it was seen to, he seemed to discriminate carefully between grass and weeds. So he's no dummy. And on inquiry from the attendants, the writer was told the diet of this patient consisted exclusively of grass from the hospital lawns. He never ate institutional food. He was a lucky man with the other inmates, and his only drink was water. The writer was able to examine his cursorily, and the only physical abnormality noted consisted of a lengthening of the hair and, of course, the thickening condition of the fingernails. Without institutional care, the patient would have manifested precisely the same physical conditions as those mentioned in Daniel 4.33. But let's just say we never had this evidence. Would you believe the story? It's his story. <laughs> the first six chapters, history. The last, prophetical. That doesn't mean the historical doesn't have prophetical. It doesn't mean the prophetical doesn't have historical accuracy. It's just for division's sake, okay? We have plenty of examples of God judging people directly due to their sin. And um, they're based for their pride. In Second Chronicles 21, 18 through 19, the Lord struck Jehoiash with an incurable intestinal disease that, by which he died a very painful death. God did that. In Acts 12, 21 through 22, Herod was praised as a god, and he accepted that, didn't give glory to God, so God struck him, and he was eaten by worms. Do you believe those historical recordings, or do you think they're just stories? What a classical picture Nebuchadnezzar is for our politicians in Washington, full of pride and arrogance, believing they're not accountable to anyone, especially God. What a shocker it's going to be to them on Judgment Day, the arrogance. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Isaiah, Jeremiah, remember when we went through there. He charged the kings, the politicians, how they would take the poor and abuse them, rob them from their things. This is exactly what's been going on in our nation. And is going on. 
There are those that God will humble by different means and manners, knowing that it will bring them to a place of brokenness and repentance. God alone knows that. And then there are others that God knows no amount of attempt to humble them will bring them to the end of themselves. But He'll still give them the opportunity because God has to be judged. And so when He judges them, they're being judged for their own personal decision about His dealings with them. You understand? If God doesn't deal with you and give you the chance to reject it, then how can He judge you in the day of judgment? You would have a case against God. The failure of repenting or being saved is never on the part of God, but on man. Due to pride and sin. Proverbs 8, 16-19, listen carefully. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. A proud look. That's the first, pride. Satan fell because of pride, the rebellion. Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises equal plans. Feet that are swift to run into evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Proverbs 8.36 says, But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. The humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar by God was to be saved by God. Notice thirdly then, we have the restoration of Nebuchadnezzar by God. In verse 34 down to 37. In 34, notice the king was restored mentally by God first. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me. Now, it was a miracle that he became as an animal. And it was a miracle that he became now as a man again. It was on both sides of the street, Okay. And it was done so to exalt God. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever. It's not all about Nev anymore. Here's evidence of the accomplishment of what God said would take place. Because He knew the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. To bow down to God's eternal authority. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. He rules. To acknowledge His Reigning kingdom. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. It never changes. As I said, kings on earth do, but not the one in heaven. And then in 35, the king was regenerated spiritually by God, acknowledging the ruler of heaven and earth to be God. Comprehending that man's abilities are insignificant to God. Listen. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. The scriptures say, a drop in the bucket. That's where the word, the saying comes from. <laughs> the nations are like a drop in the bucket. All the nations rage. They, why the heathen, the heathen imagine a vain thing? God will laugh at them, have them in derision. Psalm 2 in the second coming. All the nations of the world there to stop him. He said, I don't sweat you. <laughs> are you serious? You're going to stop me? I'm God. Wow. Affirming that God rules both in heaven and earth. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He's called the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. Listen to the key verse of this whole chapter, verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers. The watchers and the holy ones are the angels that reveal it. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones 
In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it, listen, the lowest of men or the basis of men. What an example we have had in our nation, the basis of men to rule us. Men who think they are dictators, entitled, empowered. Amazing, the basis of men. Proclaiming no one can thwart the purpose of God, stop him or question his activities. He says no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar learned this the hard way, but he learned it. 36, the king was reinstated to his throne as promised by God. Nebuchadnezzar sat on his throne again at the same time. My reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom. My honor and splendor returned to me. Again, in the context, he's relating it to the glory of God. He's not boasting in himself any longer. He understands that God has given it to him. He's been faithful to the dream and the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar was aided once again by his able officers. My counselors and nobles restored to me. And I'm sure that Daniel had a big part on holding the kingdom together, administrated during this time. And many of his faithful men that served him. Nebuchadnezzar was increased and blessed by God now. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Wow. The king was rejoicing in the sovereign perfection of God. Whoa, what a way to finish. The king served God. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. This is the message to everybody in his kingdom. The king acknowledged God. Could make no mistake. All of whose works are truth. And his ways justice. The king was a witness that God could humble anyone. He got it. He connected the dots. And those who walk in pride. He is able to put down. Wow. You remember Nam, the great Syrian commander who was a leper and he came to Israel to Elisha that he might be healed. When he knocked on the door, and the servant came and he told him that the prophet told him to go dip himself in the Jordan seven times, he'd be healed. And he was all upset. He wanted the prophet to come out. So he's going back and the servant says, ah, Master, listen, what's the big deal? Go dunk yourself in the muddy Jordan. If you get healed, great. If not, forget it. No big deal. He went down there. One, twice, three, seven. Pink as a baby. God saved him. In Second Kings 5.15, it says, And he returned to the man of God, Elisha. He and all his aides and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Wow. God deals with world rulers. And they get to make a decision whether to heed God or not. To those who much is given, much more is required. The greater judgment, ladies and gentlemen. I would not want to be anyone... That are corrupt and abusing their position and thinking they're gods. I love the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17. I put on my dad's tombstone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. Only God can do this. This is the incredible testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. Man, what a miracle that now being born again, we can believe the spiritual truths of God's word. That we once mocked and ridiculed and even opposed them with vengeance. 
that we believe that God created the world out of nothing, just speaking it forth as chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. It's amazing. We just believe it. We believe that God is in control of the world events. Nothing can alter His will. Yet this does not mean that we don't do anything against evil. We fight against evil. We speak against evil. Absolutely. We believe that God forces no person to be saved. Nor do we believe that God predestined anybody to hell without giving them an opportunity to be saved. We believe God can predict events in the future, good and evil. But that doesn't mean that He forces a person to do the good or even the evil. Okay? It's a choice. He just knows what's going to happen before it happens. We believe that God is working for our good and for His glory. Uh, Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The book of James and death, we just finished the first chapter. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 5 through 10. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? In other words, the spirit of God doesn't want to share us with the world. He wants to possess us and direct us. But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's talking to Christians. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners. Whoa. Talking to Christians. And purify your hearts. You double minded. Lament and mourn. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. What's he saying in that verse? Those five verses. Repent if you need to. Believer. That's what he's saying. Not only to the non-believer, to the believer. The most dangerous time in your life and your journey is the end. Not the beginning. The restoration of Nebuchadnezzar by God was a man who came to know God. I'm looking forward to seeing him. <laughs> This is the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, amazingly, about his salvation. Characterized by the proclamation of Nebuchadnezzar about God, was to make known God. That's it. Now that you and I have come to know God, my priority is to have other people know about God. What he's done in my life. The humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar by God was to be saved by God. And you might hear, be here today, and you're Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke to you very clearly. He's drawn a line. When you come to that line of time, either you're going to respond in repentance or not. The restoration of Nebuchadnezzar by God was a man who came to know God. That's the response that God is looking for. But only you can make that decision. We pray that you be just like Nebuchadnezzar, repentant. Pastor Xavier Reese 
wrapping up a powerful testimony of humiliation, restoration, and life-altering faith drawn from the simple truths of Daniel chapter 4 today. And today's study, simply titled The Testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace and is a great way to pass on this message to a friend when you're through. Plus, everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together will be included as well. So, once again, the title to ask for is The Testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 